A massive protest breaks out at an Apple factory. Another fight between locals and authorities amid Shanghai's strict lockdown. A new mode of transportation for Shanghai's virus patients, traveling by garbage truck. They are being used amid a shortage of other vehicles, just like in Wuhan back in 2020. Why is Beijing sticking to its zero cases policy? We take a closer look. China may not have been the only nation monitoring movement during the pandemic. Documents show the U.S. may have been doing the same. And should the U.S. reduce tariffs on Chinese goods? The Senate and President Biden say yes, but pushback is mounting. Welcome to China In Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. Shanghai residents are protesting against lockdown measures. A fight even erupted at an Apple factory. Will protests change China's zero COVID policy? Here's Entity's Don Ma. A clash breaks out amid lockdowns between locals and Shanghai authorities. The clash on Thursday is at the Shanghai factory Quanta, Quanta makes devices for Apple, like MacBooks. The factory workers are rebelling because they're fed up with Shanghai's lockdown measures. Amid Shanghai's lockdown, authorities are forcing workers to work, live, and sleep on site. Whether it's at factories or at office buildings, you're not allowed to go home. Essentially, Shanghai turned some workplaces into quarantine facilities. But Shanghai locals' protest may end up in vain, as Xi Jinping on Thursday told Chinese officials in an important meeting to unswervingly follow the zero-COVID policy. He told them to firmly oppose acts that goes against China's virus prevention policies. But what does that look like in practice? Here's a clip of what happened to a woman who went against virus prevention policies. She's being forcibly given a virus test. China's zero-COVID policy aims to get rid of every single virus case across the nation. It tries to achieve this through strict lockdowns and regular mass virus testing. China is currently setting up thousands of permanent virus testing stations. 9,000 are already completed in Shanghai. Authorities are seeking to normalize tough pandemic measures even after the current round of lockdowns end. But of course, Chinese residents are worried long-term measures could cause them a lot of pain. But I also hope that the government can introduce some policies that will not affect the overall lives of citizens. After all, we have mortgages and car loans and are under pressure. An estimate by Normira, a Japanese finance holding company, shows the economic cost of China's zero-COVID policy, specifically the cost of mass virus testing. It says testing 70% of the population every two days would amount to 8.4% of China's GDP. That's equal to more than $1.3 trillion. Don Ma, NTD News. Under citywide COVID-19 lockdown measures, everything in Shanghai seems to be in short supply. Chinese authorities have found some unusual ways to deal with the new problems. Garbage trucks in Shanghai now appear to serve a new purpose, transporting those who test positive to quarantine facilities, as captured in this video. 
with new infections constantly popping up. Vehicles needed to transport patients are reportedly too few. It's not the first time Chinese authorities have used garbage trucks for more than their intended purpose. Wuhan officials used the trucks to move meat and vegetables in 2020. That's as city workers delivered goods to residents under lockdown. Shanghai is now over a month into its full lockdown. Food shortages continue to plague the city. The promised food deliveries from authorities have been sporadic. And when that food does come, residents face another problem, how to divide it up. In an online video, residents in Shanghai's Putuo district divided the food they received from the Chinese state. The delivery contained two trays of eggs, two small bags of rice, two jars of sauce, and two small cans of lunch meat. And how many people are these groceries meant to feed? 26 from 16 different households. That means each person gets about six ounces of rice to make sure everyone gets a fair share. Residents are using a scale. In the same city, one communist official's family also checked out their own food delivery. But it looks much different than the others. In it, seafood, fresh vegetables, fruit, beef, chicken, rice, and seasoning. As the man in the video takes out one item after another, the couple bursts into excitement. Now, we'd like to address a question from our audience. Why is the Chinese Communist Party insisting on the zero COVID-19 policy? Also known as the zero cases policy, the strategy enforces strict lockdown measures. Residents are confined to their homes. Shops, schools, factories are closed. Bus and subway services are suspended. Under those rules, many residents are struggling with food shortages and access to medical care. Communist leader Xi Jinping stated on Thursday that the country will stick to this policy and firmly crack down on any actions or words that challenge it. There is no official word on when it will come to a close. The Chinese authorities say the rules seek to stop the virus from spreading. But cases of the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19, continue popping up in more cities across China. Some experts say Beijing may have other goals in mind. They say the Chinese Communist Party has politicized its pandemic response, describing the policy as a CCP test of its pressure and control. To our knowledge of what happens in the Chinese Communist Party, I don't think it's for because they actually believe that it will um, prevent the spread of COVID. That's not it. Uh, I think the coronavirus, you know, really is this uh, methodology for control. The zero COVID policy has become Xi Jinping's personal stamp on China's pandemic handling. Chinese officials equate the country's low official death toll with proving the Chinese regime's legitimacy and communist government's model. Xi Jinping stated in a recent speech, our COVID-19 policy is determined by the nature and purpose of the party. Even if he would pay a considerable price, he would claim that lockdown and zero COVID policy is the only right path and would render him a great credit, a great political achievement. That is going to pave the way for his future re-election on the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China. On top of that, the Chinese Communist regime has been watching to see how Western countries react to the Russia-Ukraine war, while also implementing its pressure tests inside China. Experts suggest those actions could be part of Chinese preparation to wage war on Taiwan. Retired U.S. Brigadier General Robert Spaulding shares his observations. 
they're going to go um, element by element through their economy and see which of those is still um, open to attack from the West, right? And if they have any that are vulnerable, they'll seek to, um, to seal those up prior to invading Taiwan. He anticipates that the Chinese Communist Party will go through steps to insulate itself from economic attacks, thus minimizing the consequences it may incur from invading Taiwan. Strengthening control over people during lockdowns isn't a practice exclusive to China. U.S. authorities may also know exactly whether people were following lockdown orders during the pandemic or not. Documents show the CDC bought cell phone data to track people's whereabouts during the lockdown. NTD's Arian Pazdar has the details. Almost all of us have a cell phone, and often these cell phones track where we go and who we spend time with. Now, according to Motherboard, the CDC bought this data, collected by tens of millions of phones for less than half a million dollars. According to documents, the CDC paid $420,000 to a company called SafeGraph for a year's access to the data. They then used it to examine the effects of lockdowns, mask mandates, and the general behavior of American citizens. If they can get any data they want, like, at any time, so. So you're not surprised? Nope, not at all. According to the CDC document, the data has been critical for ongoing response efforts, such as hourly monitoring of activity in curfew zones or detailed counts of visits to participating pharmacies for vaccine monitoring. This is another example of the CDC going far beyond its authority. Matt Staver is the founder and chairman of Liberty Council. He says courts ruled that the CDC overstepped its authority before, for example, when the mask mandate for air travel was overturned. If we go down this path, it's not a good future for America and for the freedom of United States citizens. We see something like this happening, for example, in communist China, where they track their individual citizens there and they restrict their access to generally available public facilities or flights or other benefits that other people would have based upon their tracking of these individuals. He added that Congress should enact federal legislation that bans this kind of data tracking. We've reached out to the CDC, but didn't hear back before broadcast. Ariane Pastar, NTD News, New York. Will cutting tariffs on China help ease U.S. inflation? The Biden administration is proposing the idea to Americans. But many say they're not on board. Let's look at the details. A campaign to cut China tariffs is underway. The Biden administration is offering up the option to slash tariffs on Chinese import goods saying it might relieve soaring prices in the U.S. That includes billions of dollars worth of China-made products. On Wednesday, the Senate voted in favor of the proposal, but split views on the proposal are pushing the White House to reconsider. Contrary to the support from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, others are pushing to keep tariff leverage against China. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai is one of them. She says the U.S. should consider using all tools in its arsenal to deal with inflation, including lowering tariffs on Chinese goods, but that it shouldn't be the first option. Former U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer is also urging the White House to keep Trump-era tariffs on China. He called the link between tariffs on China and inflation questionable and pointed out that the tariffs have been in place for two years with no significant inflation tied to them. Senator Marco Rubio commented, too. He wrote, We need to rebuild American industry, not reward companies that keep their supply chains in China.
Meanwhile, the Chinese ambassador to the United States took issue with the tariffs in an interview with Forbes, saying the U.S. should stop using trade as a political tool. The European Parliament is calling out the Chinese regime for killing prisoners of conscience for their organs. Lawmakers have adopted a resolution condemning the practice. This comes after the UK Parliament last week made it illegal for British citizens to travel outside the UK, including to China, to purchase an organ. Joy Felix with NTD's UK News has more. The vote is closed and it has been adopted. Members of the European Parliament adopted a resolution denouncing the Chinese regime's practice of forced organ harvesting. Lawmakers cited that the 2019 ruling by the London-based Independent China Tribunal, which found that the Chinese regime had for years been killing prisoners of conscience for their organs for transplant on a substantial scale. The resolution says, Parliament expresses its serious concerns about the reports of persistent, systematic, inhumane and state-sanctioned organ harvesting from prisoners in the People's Republic of China, and more specifically from Falun Gong practitioners. Falun Gong is a spiritual practice that has been persecuted in China for over 20 years. But it is not just Falun Gong practitioners who are victimised. The targets are well known, Falun Gong, Tibetans, Muslims, Christians and Uyghurs, people treated like livestock, subject to compulsory health checks just to be sure their organs can be harvested. Dear colleagues, this is the one of the worst atrocities committed in modern times and without a doubt an outstanding crime against humanity. The resolution requested EU member states to reconsider their collaboration with China on transplant medicine, research and training. The passage of the resolution came three days ahead of the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michel Bachelet's planned trip to China. The lawmakers urged the UN to investigate the issue during the visit. Joy Felix, NTD News. Coming up, a U.S. commander warns about a crisis, one the U.S. has only seen a handful of times in history. He says China is developing its nuclear force faster than expected and that the U.S. is falling behind schedule. More on that in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A U.S. commander is warning about what he calls a crisis nuclear deterrence dynamic. He says China may attempt to take Taiwan by force sooner than we think. Meanwhile, U.S. nuclear modernization is behind schedule. The head of U.S. Strategic Command is warning about nuclear deterrence risk, and it involves Russia and China. Admiral Charles Richard is the head of U.S. Strategic Command and oversees America's nuclear arsenal. He gave the warning during a hearing of the Senate Strategic Forces panel on Wednesday. We are facing crisis deterrence dynamics right now that we have only seen a few times in our nation's history. Richard presented during the first meeting of the Senate Armed Services Strategic Forces Subcommittee. He's a member of the Nuclear Weapons Council. The Senate panel will hear testimony from the six voting members of the Interagency Nuclear Council. Its members are responsible for managing nuclear policy. Richard said China has doubled its nuclear stockpile much faster than expected. 
adding that Beijing has done a decade-long job within two years. The PRC is watching the war in Ukraine closely and will likely use nuclear coercion to their advantage in the future. Their intent is to achieve the military capability to reunify Taiwan by 2027, if not sooner. The war in Ukraine and China's nuclear trajectory, their strategic breakout, demonstrates that we have a deterrence and assurance gap against the threat of limited nuclear employment. Under Secretary of Energy for Nuclear Security Administrator Jill Ruby is another of the six voting members. She said the Biden administration would not meet its statutory requirement to produce 80 plutonium pits per year by 2030. Plutonium pits are critical components used in nuclear weapons. So the um, Nuclear Weapons Council letter made a comment that no additional amount of money will get 80 pits per year in 2030. The impact of that on U.S. nuclear construction is unclear, as scientists haven't determined the consequences of using old plutonium pits in new weapons. Australia is boosting its defenses. The effort comes as the Indo-Pacific region faces an increased military threat from the Chinese Communist Party. Australian Defense Minister Peter Dutton has announced a 1.44 billion U.S. dollar investment in a cutting-edge submarine technology and earmarked another 1.44 billion U.S. dollars for purchasing missile technology to protect naval vessels. The submarines are unmanned and extra long, ranging between 33 and 100 feet in length. They are able to carry weapons over long distances. Looking at the missiles themselves, they boast a range of 31 miles and have active radar technology to help identify enemy anti-ship missiles. The weapons investment follows new action from Beijing. The Chinese regime recently signed off a security deal with the Solomon Islands. That agreement could open the door for Beijing to station troops in the Pacific nation. The Solomon Islands is located around 1,000 miles northeast of Australia. The Solomon Islands holds a critical geographic position, both militarily and with its influence over vital sea routes. China and Russia are planning to promote their own payment systems to do business with each other. The Chinese ambassador to Russia revealed a plan to Russian media in an interview published on Thursday. Zhang Hanhui said the two nations' central banks will discuss the use of Russia's MER and China's Union Pay national payment systems. Russians have few options left for making payments abroad, as global sanctions on Moscow stay firmly in place amid its war on Ukraine. Many Western companies have also suspended operations in Russia, like Visa and MasterCard. China has refused to condemn Russia's invasion in Ukraine and has criticized Western sanctions on Moscow. The two countries have bolstered ties in recent years, including announcing a no-limits partnership in February. Payment expert Bart Kohler at Paynuity says this means Western sanctions will only further solidify the ties between the Chinese and Russian banking systems, and it could be difficult to unwind. European countries are discussing how to end Russian oil imports. The region's reliance on Russian energy is a major obstacle to carrying out sanctions on Russia. But could China benefit from the move? Here's more on that story. EU member states are finalizing Wednesday's proposal for a phased embargo on Russian oil. 
French Environment and Energy Minister Barbara Pompili said a consensus could be reached by the end of this week. The Brussels oil ban would be the toughest sanction yet imposed on Moscow. An expert said that means Russia will have to turn its eyes to Asia. We've seen already a significant redirection of flows uh, away from Europe um, into uh, several European, uh, Asian countries, particularly India, has been taking a lot of Russian oil, a lot more than it usually does. Um, We're now seeing China also showing some interest in increasing purchases of Russian oil. Um, it hasn't picked up yet, but realistically it's, it's probably going to. Livia Gallarati is a senior analyst at Energy Aspects, a London-based energy research firm. She said the EU must look for alternatives amid soaring energy prices. Europe's reliance on Russian energy is so high that you cannot easily wean off of it without having a significant economic impact uh, in the region. Despite heavy dependence on Russian oil, countries including Germany, Latvia, Poland and Lithuania have voiced support for the EU's decision, but some are raising objections. Hungary's foreign minister said he could not support the proposal because it would undermine the country's energy security. Czech Prime Minister Peter Fiala said he would like to get a two- to three-year delay. Fifty-three people are dead in China after a housing block collapsed in one city last week. Authorities gave the report Friday after days of searching for missing persons. Nine people were arrested in relation to the disaster, including the building's owner. Let's look at what happened. Within the rubble of a collapsed eight-story self-built house in Changsha, southern China, the rescue mission is now over. While 10 people survived, 53 others died in the disaster. Local officials apologized for the incident, saying it was caused by illegal construction. The residential building, also with a cafe and a restaurant inside, pancaked to about the second story between other six-story buildings. The structure collapsed a week ago. At least nine people have been arrested on suspicion of building violations. The building's owner, who allegedly withheld information about a 20-inch wide crack in the building before the collapse, three people in charge of design and construction, and five others from the local housing department who allegedly gave a false safety assessment of the building. China has reported increasing numbers of collapses of self-built buildings in recent years. Poor safety standards, including the illegal addition of extra floors and failure to use iron reinforcements, are often blamed for such disasters. Residents have also been calling on local departments to do additional safety checks. Outside China, Australian grape growers are struggling to process their crops. They say it's getting harder to find wineries to take their harvest, a consequence of sanctions from China. Let's take a look at how they're coping. It's harvest time for grape grower Russell Lynch, but not all of his fruit will make it into a bottle this season. Over 140 tons of his Shiraz variety grapes are being harvested straight onto the ground this season because he couldn't find a winery to take them. Two years ago, Lynch was paid the equivalent of 500 U.S. dollars per ton for his crop. Last year, it was under 300. Now this entire paddock is worth nothing. Lynch also runs a grape harvesting business and has several growers on his books doing the same. Mostly Shiraz, some Cabernet and some Merlot. Um, and probably next week, we'll uh, go through and knock it on the ground. The problem lies with China's continued boycott of Australian red wine. Due to the trade dispute and the imposition of the punitive tariffs on the Australian wine, so that means that $1.2 billion market is now closed. And that means winemakers are making less red wine. 
Adding to Australia's export woes, shipping to international markets has been disrupted by the pandemic. There is no short-term fix, but market diversification is obviously what we're targeting. The trade dispute between the two nations stems from Australia's support for a probe into the origin of the Chinese Communist Party virus, which causes COVID-19. The infection first appeared in Wuhan, China in late 2019. Following that call for an investigation, Beijing blocked imports of various Australian goods, and relations plunged to a multi-decade low. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow.